0: Welcome to the Frontline Magic podcast, Suzanne Axison here, and I am your host for this podcast brought to you by Frontline Magic in partnership with Ask Nicely. Ask Nicely is your number one frontline success platform with everything your frontline teams need to delight every customer every time. If you want to get the latest insights from Frontline Magic, make sure to sign up for our latest newsletter at frontlinemagic.org. You are listening to Season 3 of Frontline Mighty Podcast, and this is the last episode for Season 3. So if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on Season 4. In this episode, we are talking to Stacey Amiho. For 20 years, she's been working with bridging the gap and equipping organizations and individuals with skills, messaging and approaches to grow their influence. Today, Stacey works as the Chief Experience Officer with Amplify Credit Union, a 2 billion community financial institution based in Austin with over 60,000 community members. Tag along as we uncover the secret of what the future of customer experience looks like. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: As you mentioned, my my job these days is as Chief experience Officer at Amplify Credit Union. So I know that's a trendy title that means something different in all different places. So what that means for us is I am responsible for four lines of business. So that's marketing, communications, and social impact is one area, and that's the background I came from. And then retail. So for us, that's our branches, contact center, wealth management, and consumer lending. The third is payments and operations. So for us, those are the people who make the debit card swipe and they make the money move. And then fourth is HR and training. So those four functions are considered the experience function. And the idea behind it is a unique collection in the banking industry of putting those things together. So the theory there is we want to combine create the promises to the member, to the employee, and to the community with the people who have to keep them. And that got
0: to be my job. Amazing. And what's the best part of your job?
1: Well, the best part of my job is that I get to use my skills as a marketer and a communications professional in a way I never expected. So I I did not think that those skills would transfer the way they have on the operation side so two kind of functions of my responsibility are i would call them you know soft skills right so marketing and hr and areas like that it's that's close to home from where i spent most of my career was in public relations and marketing consulting prior to this role but then the retail side and the payments and operations side is a side of the business that i didn't think they would be quite as directly applicable to but what I have found is so many operational challenges are actually communication gaps. They are not operational obstacles. And so if you can bring a marketer's mindset to some of those roles, then you can identify, oh, here's why we're getting crossways on something. And why is that? It's not actually a technical challenge. It's a communications challenge. Or we thought the capabilities were this, but really they're that. Or we are designing a technical process for these particular steps. And we're thinking about it from the perspective of efficiency for our organization, instead of orientation around our customers. So what is, who are we really designing these things around? And is it reflecting what their needs are more so than our needs as an organization from an efficiency point of view? So I find that I get to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was, that's an element of professional work that I didn't really anticipate. And I am really enjoying
0: Amazing. I'm curious to find out if you have had any great experience recently and what was it that made it so great? I did.
1: I had a great travel experience recently, which I mean, it's everybody's favorite. The favorite pastime is to talk about our not so great travel experiences and travel delays and that sort of thing. I yeah. actually had a really smooth travel experience just last weekend where everything worked on time and even the things that didn't work on time actually worked in an optimal way. Human beings were nice to each other, which shouldn't be notable. But in today's day of service delivery generally, I think probably anybody who is in those frontline jobs could tell you that is in shorter supply. Not just because I think, yeah, the difference between what people are expecting today and what they are experiencing is I think greater than it has been in a number of years, and that's feeding some frustration. But also, I think just the way that we interact with each other these days is is just different. And so the fellow passengers and I were all relatively good moods, and things went well, and people assumed good intention. And I think it was, certainly, it didn't hurt that clearly all of the systems and processes that were required in order for all of those things to go on time happened to be working smoothly that day. Yeah. Good communication from one step to the next. And when there was a misstep, a human being intervened and expressed empathy and and had the ability to solve the problem. And I think each of those things are so much harder to do in real life at scale than any typical customer would think that they are.
0: And what do you think is the trick to really foster that empathy and great communication at the front line?
1: One is I think you have to give your frontline staff permission to do that. And we have some design principles for each of our different channels. So as a financial institution, our primary channels are online, at phone, and in-person. Pretty much anything you need to do with us, you're going to go through one of those avenues. And so we have some design principles for what is the experience we're trying to create in each of those areas. And so for us, the experience we're trying to create by phone specifically is empathy and effectiveness. And I, whenever I talk about that, I'm always careful to point out what is not there. Efficiency is not there. That is not what we are designing the phone channel for. And I always feel like I need to say that because there's such a default setting for people who run contact centers, for example, and they're thinking, okay, how can I minimize the time on call? How can I get more throughput? How can I make my agents more productive? all of these things that we talk about. And certainly you want to utilize every interaction to its fullest and you want it to be as efficient as it can be. But really, I care way more about it being effective than I do about it being efficient. So if all I really wanted to do was mess with numbers and get time on call down and be able to say, oh, my agents handle 20 calls an hour instead of 10, I know how to do that. All I have to do is not satisfy my customer and make them call back four times to get their problem actually solved. If what I really want to do is first call resolution, which is of course what I really want, because that's what the customer wants, no one wants to have to keep calling back, then I have to give permission to my frontline teams to take the time to solve the problem all the way from beginning to end, and I need to not penalize them for doing that by chiding them about whatever their metrics might be i need to celebrate those stories of i'm so glad you took the extra time with that customer and you heard something they didn't even say and you spotted a problem that they didn't even know they were gonna have and you were able to help them solve that problem before they actually can you get so that's customer service nirvana in my mind is if you you can have a a frontline staff that is feels empowered to do that and they have the tools to do that so they have the knowledge they they have enough experience and exposure to what might happen to be able to do that that troubleshooting in advance of having a problem and then they also have the availability and the capacity to be able to do that
0: yeah and then also be uh, like you mentioned they get an acknowledge for that putting in that extra time and like actually serving the, the customer in a great way Absolutely. How do you do that within Amplify Credit Union?
1: We do it a couple of different ways. So one, I've been here about just past four years and a couple of months into having joined Amplify. One one of the first things I did is I did assessment of service across the organization. And I I just went across different areas and, and got a sense of, okay, what is the state of service here, there, and everywhere? And what I realized was it was good. We had quality service. And specifically, we had employees who wanted to give quality service. And that's another thing that it seems like that shouldn't need to be mentioned, but I find that it is because I think we've probably all worked in those organizations or seen them where it doesn't really seem like the people who work there really have any interest in making the customer happy, that they are interested in grinding their own gears or whatever the case might be. And so I was really encouraged that I felt like Amplify had an authentic, positive customer service muscle, but we did not have a common definition of what good service looks like. So, in one area of the credit union, good service meant immediate responsiveness. So they somebody had an inquiry and they were going to get a response right away. It meant availability. In another area of the credit union, it meant thorough. It meant, I'm going to wait to respond to somebody until I can completely understand what their issue is and answer all of their questions and give them a complete and thorough response. And in yet another area, it meant attitude. It meant friendliness, it meant positive camaraderie, those sorts of things. So those are all good things. You just can't do them all at once. They can't all be a common definition of what good looks like. And so what we realized was we actually brought 20 people together in a room, the heads of different departments and frontline folks and said, what do you think good service should look like at Amplify? And we tried to represent as many different departments as we could get that were member-facing and we had a conversation about it. And then we came out with what we defined as our service standards. So we have six service standards that we formalized and wrote down and started doing training around. And now the way that we use those service standards in the business is if it's working well, that means you're talking about it in the day to day. And that means when something goes wrong, you're capable of having a conversation and saying, we didn't live up to our service standard here. Yeah, like Here's the service standard that fell down here and how can we fix that? When we're trying to decide what new projects to do, being able to reflect on them to say, the way that this system doesn't talk to this system One of our service standards is if it's not solved, we're not done. That is service standard number one. And I can't, I, the frontline agent, I don't have the ability to solve that problem. So these questions keep getting thrown at me and I don't have the ability to solve the problem because those two systems don't work together. How can we fix that? So hopefully the way that this works out in the business is it becomes the playbook that helps to set our priorities. And it now underpins several things. So one is our employee awards. So we revamped all of our employee awards programs to specifically recognize elements of either the service standards or we also have our core values, which we've had for millennia. We've been a core values-based organization for a very long time. They were updated about eight or nine years ago, I think. And there's four of those. So we have four core values and we have six service standards. And together, those really represent the framework that we try to that we try to manage to. And so if we're believers that what you celebrate, you replicate. And so if what we want to do is replicate these this, these service standards in action or these core values in action, then we need to create recognitions that are specifically tied to those things. So we went from an employee awards program that was more general in nature. You might, a lot of organizations have a department of the year or employee of the year or rock star award, mm-hmm. things like that, things that are general. And we had a similar type of awards program. And we instead made it very specific. So one of our awards now is something called the Reliable Carpenter. And that comes from combination of one of our core values and service standards, which is our core value is quality driven. That's one of the service standards. That's one of the core values. And then the service standard is measure twice, cut once. And that's a phrase that is used in, in carpentry. You, know, you always want to measure a piece of material twice and you just cut it once because if you cut it too short, you've wasted all of your material. Yeah. And so we came up with the reliable carpenter. And so who is it? What does that mean? Who is the person that is our reliable carpenter? And I think if I'm remembering right, one of our employees in our payments and operations department last year is who won that. And it's what some other organizations might call the unsung hero. That's who they, that's who they, that's the kind of award that they would characterize that with. because. This is a person who ticks and ties all of the little pieces, all of the things, this report to that report to this report, and the kind of role that when it's done really well, you don't notice it. And so how do you make sure that you recognize somebody who's doing a great job at what they do when the nature of what they do is to not be noticed? And so trying to make sure that we're we're highlighting those things and drawing attention to them and celebrating that so that somebody doesn't feel unsung. That they feel like, oh, I work for an organization that values this kind of work.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's so good. And I love how you're connecting it back to your core values and service standard as well. So it's really like an umbrella of everything you do.
1: That is the goal. Absolutely.
0: And what do you think it takes to be a customer-centered company today?
1: Good question. I think to be a customer-centered company, you have to have... You have to actually believe that's a competitive advantage at the highest levels of the organization. No, or I don't know any organization that aspires to not be customer centric, right? Does oh no, we don't, we aren't customer centric. We don't care. And you'll hear organizations all day say, oh, we care about customers, everything, and we're centered around the customer. But they can't articulate how that makes them more competitive and how that makes them more money. And every organization is driven by a currency. Yeah, so. The currency of some organizations is technology innovation. The currency of other organizations is speed and efficiency. They're going to outrun their competitor, whatever it might be. So Mm -hmm. if you really want your currency to be customer service, can you articulate why that makes you more money? And if you can't paint the picture all the way from beginning to end, then you probably don't really believe it. You probably think that your competitive advantage is something else. And so you're going to say, yeah, we're customer oriented. But if we can do something more efficiently and that makes a less pleasant customer experience across the board, we're going to take that trade off all day. Yeah. And so you just I think you have to decide. its I'm a unique customer service leader in that I actually don't think every organization should attempt to have customer service be their competitive advantage because it's not authentic to them. It's not unique to them. And you'll never really be successful with a strategy. If you don't really have the buy-in of the top leadership that they think this is how the organization is going to be most successful. And so if they don't believe that's okay, just lean into whatever other customer advantage that you think you have or competitive advantage. And so you're going to cede the customer service market to somebody else. Maybe you'll win on some other capacity. And so it's, I actually don't believe that needing to be the leader in customer service should be everybody's goal. But I do think if you're going to try to do that and you tell people you want to do that, then you should put some muscle behind it. You should put your money where your mouth is and you should be willing to invest in the systems and the training and the services to be able to do that. And I think we, just to be perfectly candid, we have work to do. We have work to do in terms of making sure that our investments in training and in the way that we hire and equip people and in the expectations we set with our members, we have work to do in all those areas. It's work that's never done, but we can see the next hill. Okay, here's the next thing that we need to work on in order to get there.
0: Yeah. And I feel like your, as you mentioned before, your service standard probably ties back to that really closely as well to really focus on the customer experience and be service driven in that sense.
1: Very much. Yes. Service oriented is one of those core values. So yeah. That's like the one that's connected to a lot of our, a lot of those service standards.
0: Yeah. Um, and do you, as a company, do you have any other like mindsets or mental models or tools that you use to drive a very customer centered approach for your business? Of things we do is it's not necessarily a different tool, but it's
1: maybe a different take on the service standard. So, most organizations I think that have service standards, they think of them as service standards to the customer. Our service standards are three ways. So, our service standard is what should our customer expect of us? What should our coworkers expect of one another? And what should our partners expect of us as a client? You know, all of the technology vendors we work with, all of the real estate companies who refer business to us, title companies we work with to close a loan. There's a thousand and one different partners that we interact with as an organization to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And so we actually sit down with those vendors, especially those that we have particularly large relationships with, and we actually walk them through our service standards. And and the goal of that is to say, this is what you can expect of us. So we want to be a good client and we want to make sure that we are interacting with you in a way that sets you up for success for our work together. And this is what we're going to expect of you. And so if we get sideways on something, this is our ethos as an organization. And so this is how we're going to have that conversation. So I think it's, I think I just saw a quote from Simon Sinek the other day that said something like, you can't ever expect to have happy customers if you don't have happy employees. And I that just really resonated with me because your employees should never expect an experience that is diminished according to, as compared to what your customers experience. It, to say that, because I spend the vast majority of my waking hours at work, it's okay to treat me less good than it is the customer who you're having a transaction with. Nah, that's not. I think that doesn't. I think that doesn't fly. I think you have to treat your coworkers with at least as much respect as you do your customers, and then also your partners. And that just it creates an environment where good service becomes like breathing, and it, and bad service sticks out because it feels like such a pattern erupt. When you have a culture where employees treat each other disrespectfully, or just even not, maybe not disrespectfully, but even just, they don't really seem to like each other much. It just is a blah culture. And then you try to project some sort of friendly, engaging culture to your customer. It just doesn't come across authentically. And so I think you you have one culture as an organization. And so for us, our service standards are designed to help create behavior across all three of those areas.
0: And that's also how you ensure that your customer experience is constantly on top and you get feedback from your partners and your employees and how you can improve that. We try.
1: I will tell you, that's another place we have have a lot of work to do. So we have what we call our voice of the customer program is how we refer to the quantitative way that we measure our effectiveness as an organization. And I put all those caveats on it because... There's so many areas of our business that the quality of the service, good, bad, or otherwise, is not visible to the organization. Yeah, it just, it is is unseen. I would tell you, when I first came on board, we had a series of, of online surveys that I just didn't find connected as much to what I really wanted to understand about the business. And in particular, we didn't have any that got triggered off of phone service. And so I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, so many of our members access our service via phone. And we don't have any visibility into how good or bad that is. If you wait until you get all the way to the point of a customer proactively escalating something to complain or going to social media and putting a post, all the ways that, that the leadership of the organization would begin to see that there's a problem, uh, that is a tip of the iceberg. You've got a much bigger problem underneath it. So if you're only managing those like last outputs that are plate-driven, then you are losing so much opportunity to protect the customers you can really save. Those customers are super hard to save. The, the ones that go all the way to the point of ranting on social media, they're already that frustrated. Um, odds you can save them and turn them into an advocate for you are relatively low. But there's a whole middle ground of people who just had a frustrating experience or they were just underwhelmed with what happened. There's your audience. Like That's who you can really move. And how would you know if that happened? If you don't have the right the right systems in place. So we revamped our customer surveys and we turned it into a voice of the customer program. And we specifically decided within each of the streams. So for us, let's say a mortgage loan or opening a checking account or all the different things that you might do with us, what is the experience we're trying to deliver and how can we ask a question about whether or not we delivered that? So much of that tells us way more about the individual that we're serving than it does about us as an organization and our effectiveness at delivering. So we've decided it's the onus is on us to say, this is what we believe a good experience looks like. Did we deliver to you that experience? And that's a much more, I think, fact-based way to figure out, are we controlling the things we can control and how can we enhance? And we've seen that improve over time. The way that we think about it now is um, what we're measuring actually might change from month to month or year to year. It doesn't change every month, but certainly from year to year. So in some years, where we're really focused is we've just made a lot of enhancements to this process and we want to see if it's really working or the market has changed and interest rates are in a different place. Is that affecting how our home borrowers are experiencing our service or not? Like things are happening either in the industry or the business that make one metric matter more in this moment than another one. And we're giving ourselves the flexibility to pay attention to it in the variable way. Or
0: well, can you give an example where you have uh, been driving change based on that kind of model? Absolutely. So we just recently
1: looked at our online account opening process. So we, uh, we just became the first full service financial institution in the country to eliminate all deposit fees. So it is now impossible for any member of any balance and any behavior to incur any fee ever at Amplify. And I've learned I have to say it that way because nobody believes us. And so we've been in market about six months with this. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. My bank does that. Or I say, oh, they don't charge any fees? So you, you don't pay for wire transfers? You don't pay for overdraft protection? You don't pay for any of those other services? Oh, no, of course they charge for that. So, yeah, that, that's what we mean is all those things, those are all free now. They all still exist. They're just free. And yeah. so we figured out we have to say it in a slightly different way. But I the experience that we've really been focused on improving is the online account opening experience. So our reason for doing this is part mission, part marketing. And so we want to open more accounts and attract more core deposits. And we want to do that without driving people into our very small branch footprint. What we realized was um we were we had structured our prior online account opening process with a different risk profile in mind and with Our needs as an organization put before the needs of our customers. So for example, we have an online account opening platform that allowed us to automatically approve accounts that went through through a certain period of steps. But at any given point, if something didn't meet certain parameters, it would kick out to a manual process. And we had set those parameters very tight. So essentially, because most people who were going into this process were getting kicked out into a manual process for reasons that weren't really matching our risk profile today. So we set those based on different expectations. And we had to look again and say, we're a bigger, we're a much bigger organization than we were when we set these profiles initially. We need to change and adjust those to what we think the right things are today. And then also we were collecting information we weren't even using. Because why not find out how many, how long has this prospective member been employed by their current employer? We weren't doing anything with that information with respect to online account opening, but we were asking for it. And so, as a marketer, what I know is if you try to serve a customer the same way you try to earn a customer, the way you serve a customer will become much more effective. And so, I like to compare our online lead generation practices for lending to our deposit services practices for members because. It is What we'll tell you all day in online lead generation is, oh my gosh, you ask a minimum amount of information. You send 17 reminders by text, airplane, and carrier pigeon. This is how it works on the marketing side. And then on the service side, we say, we sent them an email. (laughs) We totally allowed them to call us during eight business hours a day when they're probably busy with other things. We permitted them to do that. (laughs) So it's like, you look at If you had to actually earn your customer every day, which in theory you do, but as institutions, we take it for granted. If you really were earning your customer every day, what would that look like? And how can you think more like a marketer on the customer service side, as opposed to thinking like you have a captive audience that is happy to get whatever it is you have to give them?
0: There's a symbiosis between those two that we can really, I think a lot of companies can get much better on. Very much. Do you have a do you have a handbook, any tools that you use to really deliver a better customer experience? You mentioned the service standard and that, but is there like a handbook or something for your employees to make sure that they really live up to that?
1: There is. We have what we call our culture guidebook. So it is meant for every employee. So we do every employee who joins the credit union within a couple of weeks of joining goes through to employee orientation and they receive the culture guidebook. And it has our service standards. It has our core values. They spend, they get two sessions each with me and two sessions each with our CEO, and then a session with our entire senior leadership team over the course of, chunked out over the course of a week or so, where we talk about those things directly so that they have an opportunity to have this discussion. We actually go through our entire business plan with each of our employees so that they have a sense of, we don't make them dig through all the Excel spreadsheets, but we give a sense of, here's what here's what we're focused on as a credit union so that they have an opportunity to see, okay, what's. My role in the business, how is it trying to map to something that is bigger and what we're trying to accomplish overall? And then all of that is documented in our culture guidebook. So that's something that um, I, I don't know how many people do this. Stacy likes to believe people actually keep them and open them and look at them. I'm not sure if they really do or not, but I do. I look at it on a regular basis. We try really hard not to be one of those organizations where these are things you talk about and they're things that the, employees have, the executives have nice PowerPoint slides about but they don't have any real applicability to the employees at the front lines. So we work really hard to try to not do that. And one way that we try to control for that is our CEO and I, we do culture conversations twice a month. So that's a conversation with about a dozen employees where we say, hey, remember those service standards that we talked about six months ago? Are those a real thing? Do you see them in your business? Can you give me an example of a time where you've used them? Or we especially like to ask, Can you give me an an example of a time where we didn't live up to those service standards? And what did we do about that? The muscle that we're really trying to build is it's okay to fail as long as we fail the right way. So as long as, yeah, we tripped, we had this issue, did our organization have the right reaction to that? When we tripped, was it, okay, what's the root cause of this and how can we fix it and how can we make it better? That's the reaction that we want. When we trip, hopefully it's not a, oh, okay, just whatever, move on down the road. And so- we try to keep it brought to life that way and to have people feel like that's something that really matters to them.
0: Yeah. With your background in marketing, what do you think is the secret to deliver a brand of magic consistently and do it in a bigger scale?
1: I think the secret is to be honest with yourself about what the real value is that you're trying to deliver. One thing that I used to do all the time as a marketer, I would do messaging sessions, so I would go into new organizations and we would talk about, okay, what's the messaging? What are you really trying to get across? What's your value proposition? And I had some, I came up with some rules that were, I think they're, I, I put of should put them on a board once. Stacy's top 10 rules of great messaging. Uh, and one of them is if anybody can say it, you can't. Because if anybody can say it, it's not true to your customer it doesn't matter if it's really true for you. And so this would be the conversation I would have is they say, no, but really we have the best service. Like our service is really good. They say yeah, every one of your competitors talks about quality service. And so if anybody can say it, you can't. Now, can you say something like, we have the fastest turnaround time in the industry? That's a different thing. And if you can actually say that if you can actually live up to that's something that might have meaning to your customer to say oh okay you've keyed into the aspect of service that is important to me and you have now given me a fact-based distinguishing factor that says oh i I might should take a look at them and so i think i think that's actually one of the biggest keys is knowing and being willing to leave some things on the sidelines you cannot be magic at everything you have to choose what is the thing that's really going to be your thing and that's one of the hardest conversations that we have a lot is there are so many good ideas. So we have we have an employee idea portal. So anybody can go to our intranet and they can submit an idea to say, you know what, we should do this and we should do that. And, and we've had some really good things come out of that. Like things that you would think aren't a huge deal, but they really do create a positive experience. For can you the give customers? an example? Oh, sure. Online banking, for example. So our contact center agents deal with our online banking platform all day, every day. And we had somebody send in a suggestion that said, could we put this feature of online banking here instead of there? Because I get so many phone calls about not being able to find that. If we could put it here, people would see it more. And, and those come directly to me. And so I don't know the people who run the systems. But I have no idea how to answer that question, whether or not we can really do that. But I know who's responsible for those teams. And sure enough, it's, can we, that kind of makes sense to me. Can we do that? And they say, yeah, actually we can. And within a matter of a couple of days, we were able to make a member experience enhancement just because somebody had an idea. On the flip side, I get a lot of good ideas that are off strategy through that portal. And so it's tricky to tell an employee, I can't act on your good idea. It is a good idea. Thank you for sending it. Keep sending them. And I can't do anything with this because for example, I got an idea recently about investment retirement accounts, IRAs. That is a product that we offer. It is not a part of our strategic area of focus. And so it's not a product we're designing for. It's just a product that we have for convenience of our members. And so there was an idea about how we could enhance the value of that product. And so the answer I had to send back was, you're totally right. If we were really prioritizing that product, we totally should do what you're saying. But our products, our priorities are this and that product. And if I spend time improving this one, that's time I haven't spent improving these over here. And I have to spend all of that time improving these over here. And that's it's hard to." it's hard to communicate to people things that we offer aren't necessarily things that we can always enhance and invest in. But if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to be honest about that trade-off, one of our other hallmarks as an organization, we talk about radical transparency. Our employees deserve radical transparency. So most organizations would say, oh yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to put that on the roadmap. And then they would do nothing with it. And they would really, and they wouldn't give, I would rather give a certain no than a soft yes. And so we try to be very honest about both our yeses and our nos. So at least our employees know what is really important to us and what we're really working on.
0: That's great. And that kind of reinforces also like your service standard and the purpose of the business, but you're also giving feedback to your employees and show your appreciation for them sharing their feedback on improvements.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So here's a big question for you. What do you think the future of customer experience look like in banking? Oh, what is the future of customer experience look like
1: in banking? It, it, this might sound strange, less interaction with customer service agents. So I tend to, not just me, Amplify, our organization has a point of view that we are more like the water company than we are like your fitness gym. So most people don't like to think about their bank. And if you're thinking about your bank, probably something's gone wrong. If everything works the way that you want it to work, you're probably not thinking much about your bank. And so as much as I would like to say, how can I create engagement with my customer and get them to really want to interact with me and all these platforms and do all these different things? The reality is if I am delivering the value that they really want, they aren't thinking all that much about me. And so how can we structure our offerings and our systems and our products to where they only have to think about us when they want to. And the only time anybody ever wants to think about their bank Is when they're doing something fun, new, and exciting, like buying a house. Yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna go buy a house, and even then, the reality is they're thinking about the house; they're not thinking about the mortgage. So, if your part of it is the mortgage, how are you making? How are you becoming a positive part of that milestone in their lives without trying to put yourself at the center of it in a way that your customer doesn't want and that isn't adding value to what they do? So, for us, the future, I think, of customer service is to be honest about what our customer wants and to commit to delivering that in the best way possible so that they feel really good. But those few times where they do have to interact and they have to make a phone call or they have to go in and get a check because they're going to close on their house and that's what's required to go close on their house, they have a really positive experience. And most of the time they aren't thinking about us. And maybe they drive past a branch and they think, "Oh gosh, I sure love Amplify," even though I never walk into that branch. If that's if that's how they want a bank, then that's how we want to to be here for them. And then when they say, I have a big thing coming up. I know exactly where my branch is. And when I walk in, I know the people are going to be informed and confident and incompetent in helping me do that. Then that's the experience I want them to have too. So I think it's designing for whatever it is your customer wants in that channel and being willing to make the trade-offs to deliver that in an exceptional way.
0: Great. Yeah excited about the future. If you could describe the single most important attribution of a great frontline employee, what would that be?
1: Single most important attribution of a great frontline employee is judgment. And that is something that we've actually been changing the way we equip our frontline employees. So what we realized was we were being so prescriptive about, okay, here's this thing that a customer needs to do. And here is your 20 point SOP for how to do that thing that this customer needs to do. And so we tried to be very prescriptive and with good intent, right? The goal here was to try to create a consistent experience for the member. And so the more explicit the guidance you can give to somebody, the more likely that experience will be consistent. What we have found, however, is if you haven't predicted your customer's need exactly right, and you've conditioned your employee to where Whatever my customer needs, there's an SOP that's going to tell me how to do it. And, it. and if this is how I've conditioned my frontline employee, and then my customer comes to me with something that they, their SOP is Kelly Green, and this customer's need is Jade Green, they don't know how to handle the Jade Green need, because I haven't cultivated in them that sense of judgment. I haven't told them, here's why we do the things that we do, and so here's how we're going to do that in general terms. And then they can actually use that sense of judgment to respond to what the customer needs. So essentially, I think in a world where customers' needs are increasingly complex and increasingly hard to predict, it's just the world we live in generally is increasingly hard to predict. So let's not try to pretend we can predict everything and equip our frontline employees with tactical guidance on how to handle it. Instead, let's cultivate good judgment. Let's help them understand how we do things and why we do things, and then trust them to make the right call in the moment.
0: Yeah, great. Awesome. If a company wants to create a better experience for the customer, what is one simple thing they could do today that will create long-term difference?
1: I, if I were starting this job today, what I would do is I would go sit on the call queue for a day. I would just randomly drop into the call queue. And I say the call queue because volume in our branches is relatively low. So you could say, oh, you're just going to walk into a branch and watch what, ha- what happens. But for us, the call queue, it's so many different needs, so many different things that happen. And that would help me understand what is the mindset of the people that we're serving? What are the repeat issues that I'm hearing and that we might organizationally have an opportunity to address? And what are the things that are conventional wisdom in this industry, but the wisdom part is maybe missing? I have discovered that a lot in financial services generally is there's a lot of people say, oh yeah, this is how it is. You know, everybody wants to prefer a financial institution. Oh yeah. If you get somebody's direct deposit, you got them for life. There's all of these sort of truisms of the industry. And then when you ask for data, nobody has any data about, so I say, oh, okay. So that's what you see in your business. What metrics are you looking at in your online account opening that show you that's the truth? And we haven't looked at these truisms in so long and consumer behavior has changed so much. That I think if you're really trying to make a difference, coming in and sitting and listening and allowing yourself to not go straight to the default setting, you know, of, oh, this is why that is the way it is. And so much of the default setting is let me convince my customer why they shouldn't feel bad about their problem. Oh, you're having this experience. Well, if I can just tell you why, then, then you're going to feel better about it. No, you're you, you, My problem is not their problem. That's my problem. Whatever that constraint is, I need to solve that so they can have an improved experience.
0: So I only have one question left and that is, do you have a quote that you live by Ooh. or like a saying or something that influenced you?
1: So many. The one that comes to mind for me today is uh, nothing for me without me. So that's a saying that I was on a leadership organization in marketing and one of our council leaders, that was one of her mantras. And it's really meant to say You should never create a product or a process or a deliverable for an audience that you don't have represented in the creation of that product or process or deliverable. And so it's so often that we think, oh, okay, let me think about my target audience for this is suburban millennials who are in the age range of 30 to 35 and they're getting their first home. And what they want is this and that. And so I'm going to put out this piece of this product with this marketing collateral. And I never had a suburban millennial between the ages of 30 and 35 involved in that process to tell me, no, that doesn't, that's not authentic and that doesn't speak to what we want in any way or what our industry is particularly bad at, which is to say, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create a product that is, for a really diverse community and I've created it by a whole lot of people who live in one geography, who have one lived experience of one race, of one gender, of one socioeconomic status, but we're creating a product that's really diverse. What are the odds we're going to get that right? Not very good. So I sent one of my quotes that I live by is nothing for me without me. And, and I usually am thinking about that in the reverse, whatever it is I'm creating for a customer, do I have the profile of who it is that I think I'm trying to serve? represented in the creation of the product that I want to deliver.
0: That's great. Yeah. And that's really tying back to who are we here for and who are we serving? What's the purpose of the business? Absolutely. Awesome. That was all the questions that I had. Anything you would like to add or that you want me to ask you, but I didn't?
1: <laughs> I think it, I'm just glad that that you're having this conversation. It is, I think it. there is such a career path in service generally And the ability to bring a service mindset to anything that you do, let's say you're a technical product creator, or let's say you're an engineer or whatever those things might be. If you think with a service mindset in mind, you're always thinking in the shoes of that person that you try to serve. And I don't think that's ever a bad thing, regardless of what your profession is. So I'm grateful to you for having this
0: conversation. 100%. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of frontline magic podcast with your host suzanne axelson feel free to reach out to me on linkedin or via email on suzanne at frontlinematic.org if you have any feedback or thoughts on that you would like to share on this episode frontline Medic provides you with the tools insights and inspirational stories that you need to delight every customer experience every day you can sign up for free or learn more on frontlinemedic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.